going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Oh, welcome, 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 welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. It just felt like a little David Bowie golden years. Are we going to talk about the golden years tonight? I don't know when those would have be, but don't let me hear you say life's taking you nowhere. Angels. See? It's always taking you somewhere. Always taking you somewhere. And yes, you folks have, once again, if you're not already tired of him or I, the voice of Southern Wood or 84 or Steel Slats or whatever the hell you're going by these days. And I got to come up with a new one. And then also we have Brandon, God's gift for us. How you doing, Brandon? I'm all right. What about you, man? I'm doing all right. But Brandon, I think we need to uh, we need to cut the music here. Uh-oh. We need to get a little. Uh, that was abrupt. Yeah. It, yes, on purpose. Oh, this you're is very serious. Yes, I'm deadly serious right now because we need Brandon to uh, take care of some business with this guy over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, we uh, we need to. Uh, Southern Wood. What have I have I been ambushed? Shut up for a second. That's hard for me to do. Yeah, <laughs> I've learned. Would you? Uh, where are you from? Again? From right here in Montgomery, Alabama. Where do you currently reside? The the three six one zero five in Pentlala. Yeah. We've got some acreage there. Yeah? Like, you, you've worked on farms, and... Would you... Uh, let me just get to it. Would you consider yourself a redneck? All my life, would you like to fight about it? No. Okay. Not about you being a redneck. I was just wondering if you would classify yourself as a redneck. Yeah. No, you do... No, you don't have to self-incriminate, but where were you... Two nights ago. Were you in Chicago? How was it? Subway at the Love's Truck Stop in Pentlala. And you not Chicago. You have people that can attest to this? That can back up and corroborate your alibi? Uh yeah. I can come up with some. <laughs> See that does that doesn't paint you in a good light right now. You're looking real good for this crime. I just can't believe I'm sitting in the studio with a black dude as a redneck. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just driving me crazy. Uh, yeah, there are just some moments. I was trying to tell Brandon this off air, like what's happened with uh, Smollett, the guys on Empire. Yeah, um, Jesse. Yeah, it's where I, I just want to tell everybody, especially before anybody politicizes it, like calm down, folks. Like, not about if the, he's saying this crime happened. It does need to be investigated. It is being investigated. Like, my, my first thought when I see a report like that is, okay, 
this happened, find the people who did it. My well, well, I'm I'm just gonna set it aside. The first thing that people on the other side see, black, white, Chicago, done. Uh-huh. It, it doesn't even matter what happened. It's I'm instantly enraged. Someone has to pay. No, but it's a it's a good example of what I think is incredibly wrong with the country right now on in so many different levels. This is a perfect example. Again, I see that somebody's been assaulted. And it's possibly a so-called hate crime, where essentially somebody, you know, a noose put around his neck, slurs thrown his way, he's beat up. My initial first thought is, okay, find the people who did this and who are responsible for this. Call Chicago PD. Let's let's figure this out. That is not the first thought, though, of unfortunately everybody. Oh, oh of course not. Now, Chicago PD's first thought is. How can we not look like idiots in the news right now? <laughs> Say nothing. It's in, it's Say absolutely See, but they didn't nothing. Even, they didn't even do that. <laughs> that and that was their problem. Yeah. They should have said nothing because I have actually no opinion on this yeah. as of right now. Because mm-hmm. I don't have the information. Right. There may have been a redneck hanging outside. But in Chicago, I mean, that is minus twenty degree weather. My, minus twenty degree weather. Oh, go go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, but I mean, that just kind of adds to the suspicion that you get. Is like, now wait a minute. I saw a redneck hanging outside this guy's house, and then at two o'clock in the morning, he's going to Subway. Who the hell goes to Subway at two a.m.? You're going to Crystals. <laughs> or Taco or Bell. Or Waffle House. Or Waffle House. Yeah. Or IHOP. Now, IHop, yeah. if you told me that there was a redneck at the Waffle House oh, well, at 2 a.m., yeah. oh, it's done. Yeah. It's done. Of it course. That's it him. Yeah. In the story. Waffle <laughs> House. Drug addicts. Drunks. <laughs> that is sad. <laughs> no, but again, my first thought on anything like this is, okay, who did this? If it's true, and let's figure it out. Well, and, and if we find them, we'll bring them to justice. A lot of people's other first thought is, ah, uh, and I've seen the tweets. Now, now this is that my- Donald Trump is responsible. Like, what is well, wrong with you? Why wait, are you blaming the president? Wait a minute. Here's my, here's my question, and I'm I'm saying this as a black man. Yeah. If I'm leaving my house at two a.m., number one, I am not by myself because I'm semi-famous. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? I look like a come up to somebody. So if they see me out there, they're like, oh, I can get some money for No. I right. got at least five or six guys with me. Right. You know, okay, yeah, let's all of us go to Subway. I'm not going nowhere by myself. That That's the only thing that kind of seems suspicious to it about me. Well, and also... But let me be clear. Like people immediately ran and blamed the president. They politicized it because apparently the initial report from TMZ is the guys in topic yelling racial and homophobic slurs also said this is MAGA country. Well, well, here's my question: When did TMZ all of a sudden become the emphasis of news? Right, because they because they were the first ones to break the Michael the, Jackson story. When all the other news organizations continued to drop the ball. Oh, man. <laughs> T- TMZ is the electronic media version of the National Enquirer. Pretty much. Yeah, the, pretty every much. once in a while, they get something so right. Yeah, they do. It's just enough that you pay attention to them. Because you're right. They got the Michael Jackson story right. And that and was that's the story what, of the century. That's what put them on the map. And 
and they've morphed into, I mean, they've got, it's like BuzzFeed and all those. I mean, well, there's, yeah, there's yeah. so much crap that comes off those. But you can always point back to, but they're the ones that broke the Michael Jackson story. So, so let me let me give this story a little validity because they did break the Michael Jackson story back in the day. So I'll read it at least. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and this, that's, and that's this why story, their sites get a lot of buzz. Story may be a hundred percent true. That's why I'm not rushing to judgment. We'll see. Of course, I, not. there's some weird stuff, but I mean, there's weird stories out there. Oh, right. of course, all over the place. But I just want to ask you, as a black man. Mm -hmm. When's the last time a white guy with a Make America Great Again hat came up and started beating on you and pouring unknown chemicals on you and put a noose around your neck? Never. And how many people do you know that that's happened to? None. Well, one, uh, allegedly. Oh, I well, mean, yeah. this one dude. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just uh, uh, again, kind of out of the blue. Uh, again, it's kind, it's kind of distortions on both sides because, like I said, okay, the redneck thing in Chicago. Why was this person hanging out of this man's apartment at two a.m. and no, and his neighbors didn't call the police? Because he he right. lives in a pretty well afforded neighborhood. You would think so. So, and most and most things that you see on TV, I hate to say this, but most white neighbors are nosy. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. No, I've lived next to some. <laughs> if you ever go on vacation, you'll thank God for them. Because it's like, uh, were you expecting somebody at your house? What time is it there? 3 a.m.? Call the police. Call the police now. But then you have to ask yourself, why is this like within seconds? Because there have been, I mean, you can look it up. There have been hate crimes of all different varieties uh, in this year and last year. Um, done by so-called right wing and so-called left wing, and but this one became national news very quickly. Now the good thing with TMZ, well, the good and the bad, anybody can be a reporter because it's essentially I got my phone up, yeah. I'm taking a video right there, I hear a couple of sound bites, and I can send it to TMZ, and guess what they're sending you a check, right? Yeah, you know, they check out the validity of it, and then they they'll send you a check right then. Anybody can be a reporter, and and the reason it became national news in one second, like you just said, Joey, is because they mentioned one person, <laughs> Donald Trump. Anything that makes him look bad, and whether you like this, him or you don't, and I do, I'm not, I'm, I make no bones about really? it. Really, I'm a Trump fan. <laughs> okay, I'm tr I'm Trumping on. You sure you're allowed to say that in Montgomery? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can say it in Montgomery. <laughs> I, I, I was getting ready to say Montgomery is. Yeah, down. I think it's all right in Montgomery. Yeah, yeah. we got a bunch of rednecks down here. Of course. But but that's the reason it made the news. Yes. If it would have well, just been two white guys attack me at the subway. It still would have been news. It, it but. would have been a little bit, but when you throw in, they were chanting, "This is MAGA country." Well, then that makes it a big story. Well, that's just like the Trump supporters that got beat up. What made it a big story? Because they were hollering out, "Black Lives Matter." Now, Black Lives Matter didn't have anything to do with those people, but because they had on the T-shirt, it became a story overnight because they beat up two Trump supporters. When was this? Uh, yeah, what are you talking about? This is probably a little few this is, years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, okay, yeah, this, this is, is more like, during the election. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and two Trump supporters got beat up. And, well, and this is the thing. Again, those are like individual people. It's like, stop fighting, number one. Like, I see any violent event, and it's like, oh, God, here it comes. All the symbolism of it. But you were right, and this is my point. Because it has to do with the president, it immediately becomes national news. But it reminds me of a common phrase when Barack Obama was president. 
anything bad that happened, it, like, and it became a running joke on the internet. It's like, ah, oh, I can't. My, the, my pizza delivery guy showed up, and half the pizza was eaten. Thanks, Obama. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for and, saying that. And so my point, and some folks have called it Trump derangement syndrome. He is no. the president, but it is presidential derangement syndrome. It really is. And I'm, I've been wondering, like, what are the origins of this? Now, I think it goes all the way back to the beginning of the republic that, like, George Washington was held in, in ridiculous esteem. Like, we won the Revolutionary War. They wanted to make him king, Right, man. and, and well, to well, his well, credit, he, he steps aside. Well, the thing is, he's like any powerful figure. That's just like most of our powerful figures from Greece and the Roman times were former gladiators, were yeah. warriors, were generals. And rightfully so. They're respected because more time it's an emergency. But Washington did an amazing thing. They wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him ruler of the country as long as he wanted to be. He, yes. And he could have been. But he did a beautiful thing. He steps aside after eight years to continue this experiment of this new constitution and government they had set up. Beautiful thing. And that tradition, and he was so respected, that that tradition lasted for almost 150 years. Almost. FDR. But then, but yeah, yes, uh, I was about Roosevelt. to say, who broke that tradition? Yeah. Well, they, they, I don't care if Roosevelt did die back then. They were just going to have his funeral and then roll him back up to the podium and be like... Our president. <laughs> well, but I was You're about right. Yeah, yeah, because they were so in love with him. <clears throat> but I was reading, and this is the thing: there's a di the love for Roosevelt. I think was a little different than the love for George Washington. The way and what the expectation was of the guy when he stepped down, people immediately went, "Oh, uh, yeah, that makes sense with what we're trying to do here in this country." And of course. There were all sorts of cynical interests. I'm not well, well, trying well. to idealize the beginning of the country. There are a lot of flaws still. But uh, there's a difference between what George Washington did and what FDR did. And I, because of the language that's being thrown out there by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, others now in the Democratic Party, of they want a new Green Deal, which harkens back to Roosevelt's, FDR's New Deal. I started reading up on... And just reminding myself of stuff I'd read before mm -hmm. about how exactly did the New Deal work out? I mean, and number one, it it did not work. Oh, of course not. But see, the thing is with Roosevelt, one of the reasons he stepped aside was, you know, for years up until that point, the president was supposed to be the strongest man in the room. And of course, with all the diseases and stuff he was dealing yeah. with. He was unable to walk. You know, I mean, could you imagine? Because that was one of the running jokes on McCain when he ran. Yeah. It was like, oh, we're going to have to have an oxygen tank and a, right. and, a, and a wheelchair to get him up to the Man, to the you, can, you can go all the way back to Reagan on that. Oh, See, but Reagan was actually quick-witted. Where and, and he was an actor. It, he was an actor. I the, love that line to this day. The greatest uh, line ever delivered uh, in any. And, and you can go to Trump, and Trump had some great ones. I mean, whether you like him or don't. Only Rosie O'Donnell. Trump, he had great lines yes. in the debates against, what was it, Dukakis? Yes, essentially, no, I, the, the, no the, the debate moderator asked, President Reagan, what do you say to those who say you're too old or too elderly to hold the office, these sort of things? And Reagan's line was, I won't use my opponent's youth and inexperience against him. It was, well, it was a brilliant well, way to show how, 
the question was a little silly because well, it could go both ways. Well, here, here's the thing. The country at the time was battling drugs on the forefront because drugs... I'm talking about the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, okay. drugs were kind of a, a thing that was taking over the inner city. And a lot of a lot of affluent people in the suburbs were scared. Yeah. And so, you know, what makes you feel most safe, even as an adult? Your grandpa, your yeah. your your older your older uh parent. And so also, that's what that's what Reagan kind of catered to. He was like, Hey, I'll keep you safe, me and my wife. And also yeah, he was of the greatest generation and he was somebody that was very much would talk up the country. Oh, of like America's the greatest. Yeah, very America much a nationalist. Do. Very much. And very different than Carter. Oh, of course. In, in that Carter. way, yeah. who talked about the malaise, which was just a stupid thing to talk about. Jimmy um, Carter's a buffoon. But I want to come back to FDR. When you look at what FDR was able to accomplish, the reason people clamor for him, because of his fireside chats, because of it, just like Reagan, he was able to communicate. He'd put yeah. people at ease. Now, what he actually did didn't actually solve the problem. In fact, probably made it worse. I, I mean, essentially, imagine this, folks. When people are become incredibly poor all at once, FDR and his team go, you know what we need to do? You know what the problem is? Prices are too low. Oh. Let's make sure prices of, like, agricultural products, which is where most people worked at that time, let's make sure prices of things are much higher. To the point of, let's slaughter millions of pigs to make sure, you know, pig products sell at a higher price. Let's burn millions and millions of crops. In order to, and it's like, wait, no, dude, people are poor. What you need are lower prices. Uh, oh, 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 <laughs> that, oh, oh, wait a minute, that's not a good idea. Right. Oh, so so why did they do it again in two thousand eight? Well, because we're, I think it was a big bailout for special interests, and we're we're caught in that cycle. Exactly. And and I really think that people conflate his success. It, it, they give him credit for bringing us out of the Great Depression. Mm-mm. He actually kept us in the Great Depression yes, longer and they, they start than they admit it. until when? World War II. Well, and it wasn't even the war. That. No, World War II is what brought us out of the Depression. It was not. Okay, then what was it there, World Joey War Son? II took more money out of the private economy, directed, necessarily so, all of our resources and created rationing to go kill people and blow things up. Now, now after the war, what happens? What happens after the war? And this is what actually brought us out of the Great Depression. The budget is cut by a third. All the New Deal infrastructure, that cartels and price controls and things, were pretty much dismantled. Well, well, and the private sector is allowed... No, I think actually the budget was cut in half, and the economy and private sector grew by 30-something percent. What happened is essentially the government got the hell out of the way after the war. Well, I, I kind of agree with both of you. On the on, on, on your on your side, eighty four, the war did help because you had jobs that were generated, you had plants that were getting ready to shut down. But guess what? Now we have to make bombs. Now we have to make tanks, right. and and to the same effect, you know, it generated the economy. It took people across seas. It gave them something to focus on. But if you're in everyday life, that is not what you want wealth and resources to go towards. If but, it's necessary, but, 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 but if you're actually facing a threat, okay, that's what we got to do. But also, here's how bad it was. At The Great Depression keeps going. They do all the New Deal stuff, and it's like 1939. And they're still worse off. And they've spent all, these mo- all this money. They've built all these programs. We're still worse off. And now people are like... 
you're spending too much money, man. Like, there was a clamoring from uh, people re- kind of waking up to it. So, their plan was, okay, what we'll do is we realize we're going to lose this next election, probably. And so, what we'll do is we'll let the Republicans, and Hoover, Hoover's still around, we'll let the Republicans take over. They'll cut the budget. Then the economy will tank more. And then they'll ask for us to come back and the New Dealers to save everything. But none of that had to come to pass. No, because what also point. happens in 39? Hitler invades well, Poland. World War II gets going. And when they see that this war is coming, and Roosevelt was doing everything, making all sorts of promises to Churchill. I'm going to get the United States into this war. To the point of not just, oh, you know, shipping goods to the Brits. He was using actual American destroyers to help British pilots spot German U-boats and then throwing depth charges from the planes and from American ships. He was trying to do every provocative thing he could to get the U.S. into the war with Germany. And so what you would think is, okay, I'm not making an argument that World War II, we should have stayed out of the war. The Pearl Harbor happens, all these things happen. My point is this, when that, when that occurs, you realize you've got to go to war, I think the, most people will go, okay, what do we need to win it? That's not what the people around FDR started to think. They thought more than that. They thought, oh man, now we can spend even more money and get the economy even hotter, man. So they, they built more than they needed. And put women to work. Oh, all sorts of things. Like Ruination of this country and our society. But you don't actually see the economy come back until after the war budget and all the controls over industry are taken away. And essentially, you have what should have happened in the depths of 1929. You have basically capitalism. And we start to grow. Okay. What I'm going to say to that is, look at this country's history. Whenever the people, whenever we've been down and people have started clamoring for change, what's always pulled us out? Oh, a war. Hey, hey, here's our war with Britain. Hey, here's the Vietnam War. Hey, here's our war in Iraq. I mean, it's always been a war to come out of nowhere and all of a sudden all the money problems go away. No, but they, they I, didn't, I though. I don't think it's necessarily money problems, though, is when when you feel insecure mm-hmm. when 9-11 happens, and that's something I think we're all old enough to at least have a yes. good recollection of. Yes. When 9-11 happens, you are scared to an, to an extent inside your body, and you're more willing to, one... Let's keep the evil that we know. Let's right. keep George W. Bush because, I mean, at least we know who he is. We don't have to worry about what he's going to do. And also, you're much more willing to say, sure, here, like they did in World War II. I'm going to bring you my tin cans, my aluminum cans. I'm going to bring you jewelry and donate it and let you melt it down to make bullets with. And you, you're... You're more willing to, you're in that mind frame that you will give up more of your rights and more of your liberty yes. in order to have security. And that's the, if you want to get into right. the idea that, that wars are manufactured. Some are. Manufacture a war. In and Vietnam people, certainly are. Whoa, whoa. My, my whole, NSA. Yeah, yeah. My whole thing with that is, it was kind of like, 
you got a mob of people and one of them gets shot. And George W. Bush was just the first guy talking about, let's go to war. And everybody just jumped on. That's what 9-11 was to me. Oh, and everybody was down with Afghanistan because oh. that's where the guys were had safe harbor. But then something happens after the next few years where it's like... They can't find them. Well, they can't find them, number one. And also, now let's take out Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Yeah. What? What? But here's... You're, here's, you're going wanna, from two to 11,000. Right, but there. I want to get back to the original point, guys. We started off talking about presidential derangement syndrome. We started talking about how this thing happens in Chicago. I'm not even... I, I'll grant for the sake of argument, and I think my argument's stronger, say everything that happened to that actor is true as he describes it, just mm -hmm. for the sake of argument. Why is your first idea to go blame the president? And same thing during the Obama years when all sorts of things happened that had nothing to do with Obama. Let's blame the president. And so where does this presidential derangement syndrome come from? And I think going back to, again, that crisis of the Great Depression, as you just said, Southernwood, people clamor when they feel insecure, when millions are out of work, that we'll follow this guy who's very eloquent, who puts us at ease, and we'll just allow him to do what he wants. But there's this interesting thing that was happening during the New Deal. It wasn't like Roosevelt and his team came in there and they had a clear plan of what they wanted to do. They didn't. Mm -mm. They did not have a clear plan. But as the decade went on through the 30s, certain reporters who kind of agree with the old style of America realized something's going on here. And even some of Roosevelt's own advisors who, weren't, who thought the New Deal was just an emergency were like, something's going on here. And what was going on and the clear theme became, and it goes to people like Henry Wallace, mm -hmm. which was FDR's second-hand man, and others that, I mean, were, Roosevelt, I think, was an American progressive Democrat. Some of the people, though, in his circle could be considered communists. I mean, it was... A like, few. A yeah. Few. And so certain advisors and reporters, people looking into this, realized, okay, it, Roosevelt didn't know monetary policy. He kind of was crazy. He tried to... He, what happened confiscating gold or controlling industry, all this stuff, a certain theme started to develop. And what was that theme? The theme was the government is the boss. The government will solve it. Things are they, too scary. They'll take are, care of you. Things are too insecure. Yep. And the government will be your savior. That's a very different type of respect like for George Washington. It was more like, no, actually, I'm not the man that's going to lead you through this. You have to figure this out yourselves. And that was most of American history with economic downturns. We did some stupid things in the, what, the next war with Great Britain that we kind of asked for it in some ways. Of course. We got the capital burned down for it. But that, I think, is the actual part that began this presidential derangement syndrome. Now, actually, brilliantly, and it's a, all the ironies of history, FDR kind of understood his right-hand man, Henry Wallace, was not a good guy. Roosevelt knew he was probably going to die before his last term in office was up. So instead of having Wallace as his second-hand man, his VP, he taps Truman. And Truman isn't perfect, but Truman isn't like a visionary, radical New Dealer either. So it's kind of a blessing that Roosevelt picked Truman to be essentially his successor. But I think once you start seeing not just the government 
is the one in charge and will command not just industry but every aspect of your life. But it's the executive. It's not Congress. It's not even the courts because FDR packed the courts and controlled the courts and did all sorts of propaganda against the old, angry, nine white men who wouldn't, who kept shutting down his New Deal program. So he started like putting who he wanted into the courts. Oh, kind of like our current president. Well, it's our current president. It's the president before that. It was W. It was a lot of these folks, man. It starts with FDR. It's not just the government's in charge of every aspect of your life. It's that the executive is. And the executive, through emergency, will start to fix the problem. You be at ease. But what if it's not an emergency that actually you know ends in a few years? What if it's a general trend? Oh, and oh, people oh, you, finding crisis after crisis, emergency after emergency, to well, continue this trend of centralizing power in the executive oh, branch. Oh you, oh, you mean like when George W. Bush signed in the Patriot Act? That basically yes. was just a check to do and what Congress the was wanted. happy to do it, just like the and, Congress is happy to give power to FDR. And and that's the thing, though, Brandon. George W. Bush signed it into law. Everybody in Congress voted for it. Yep, both sides of the aisle. Congress scared. has become it, it the lapdog. They've become the lapdog of the executive. They do exactly, and that's where I was getting to with uh, when you get people frightened, they're willing, and nobody raised hell about it. No. So we gotta, I didn't raise hell about it. We gotta, I was like, yeah, yeah. go get them right. jokers. And, and again, it's under the you know auspices of an emergency. I'm older and wiser But now. why does this lead to presidential derangement syndrome? Well, it's the cool. answer should be obvious, but we have to hit this break. It's political derangement syndrome. Well, Amen. But the executive branch has become way too powerful. Not just in reality by policy, but in the people's minds. Joey Clark. We get Montgomery talking 24 hours a day. Joey Clark. Oh, welcome back, folks. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning because I feel rested. I feel good. But along with the DDPY, DDP yoga, I've added some weight training. But my my hours are wonky. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you've got to be here, you know, first thing in the morning. What time do they open up? 24-7. This new gym I'm going to is called Express Fitness 24-7. It's right in the name. They mean it because when you become a member, you have access whenever you want. You get a key fob. You can go on in and get your workout in. Get in, get out. Feel a little sore, but stronger at the end of the day. And so tomorrow morning, I'm going to be going in, doing some more hardcore training. Feel good about it, but it's a great place. I'm going to the Zelda Road location here in Montgomery, right above Firehouse Subs. I believe it's the Hillwood Festival Shopping Center. Okay. Um, I love it. I really do. They have state-of-the-art equipment, all sorts of cardio machines, weight machines like, you know, cable machines, but also free weights. 
um, power racks so you can get a good squat in, bench, all sorts of different lifts in. But there are also locations in Prattville, Millbrook, Wetumpka, Clanton, and Pine Level. So, folks, I encourage you to go to expressfitness24.com. You can learn more about each location that would best suit you. But don't wait on it. I, I This is something that I people ask me why you're doing this because it's, it's not just to look better or to be stronger. It's also like it's a new goal to go towards, and it well, feels good to accomplish it. Well, I have one problem with this. Hmm. I look at every one of these fitness ads. I'm sorry. There are not that many blonde women lifting weights. <laughs> you I'm might so- be surprised at Express Fitness. You know what? I might have to come check it out with you. Come on, man. Especially as I get my feet under me, you have to join me. I become a member. Yeah, well... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to work out this whole 201 pounds I got going on right yeah, here. Yeah, no, you'll be amazed. Even if the first few weeks might be tough if you go really hard, but it pays off. And I just know I feel so much better. It's not just like, oh, looking in the mirror or whatever, or I can lift something without feeling tired. It's more like I get, I get a rush. It feels good like I've done something early in the day. I kind of earned my morning. And, oh, okay, my, now I'm rest, ready for the rest of the day. You, you sure you're not just excited to show off the summer body for, for Valentine's there's Day? That, there's vanity. Too, of course. But folks, check it out. Express Fitness 24-7. Check it, again, Montgomery, Prattville, Millbrook, Wetumpka, Clanton, and Pine Level. The website is expressfitness24.com. But, you know, I asked the question, why the presidential derangement syndrome? Because I think every this whole story we told, they might not tell it in the same way of how executive power was assumed. But it's like after, for instance, I'll give you another example of how bad it was. We had the uh, the interstate commerce clause, and this idea of the interstate commerce clause is if goods cross state lines, the federal government kind of controls it, make sure states don't put up tariffs and barriers between one another. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I know the answer to this question, and but that's a great thing. Continue. But, but after Def- FDR gets his people on the court, I can't remember the exact name of it, but there's this famous case where they said a farmer who grows wheat mm-hmm. on his farm. Yeah, can't feed it to his own cows. For his own use, to feed to himself and to his own livestock, can be regulated for interstate commerce. Mm-hmm. And the reasoning, the cockamamie reasoning, is that by creating wheat, it affects what he might have purchased on the open market over state lines. And so, talk about a grab for freedom. These are the same folks. Imagine a country where the dollar that you hold Mm -hmm. can be redeemed for gold. Gold can be traded to anybody. You can hoard it if you want. You can give it out to people. You can lend it to people. You could send it overseas. You could all all sorts of things. And again, you go to the government and be like, I have this federal note. Give me my gold. FDR comes in. They confiscate gold. They say that here are now controls on how you can use it to borrow and lend. Here's also more limits on how you can use it to use it in foreign exchange. And now, also, here's a new government money, the ones we're used to today. The dollar notes. Yeah, that can't be redeemed for any gold, but it's the only money it's allowed. Any other money is now illegal. Well, it basically kill, killed the frontiersmen and the and, last of the Westerners. Well, and, and it killed a lot of people's freedom. But this is exactly what was going on. Just more and more power going to the executive branch. Well, so why are, I think you don't even have to agree with my story of how executive power came to be. There's, it's a long story. Like, for instance, Gore Vidal has a great documentary on YouTube mm-hmm. called The American Presidency. It talks about this. Yeah. Brilliant documentary. But 
whatever your story is, I think most Americans, if they really think about it, sense that the real game isn't voting for your senator. The real game isn't voting for your congressman or congresswoman. The real game is who is the president. And, Joey, you just hit the nail on the head. That's why, and I, well, I can't say why the presidential uh, wing of the government has become, the executive branch has become so powerful. There's you can go through all those reasons, right? But it makes it easier because politics has become a sport. Yeah, it, it is a sport. Yeah. I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, and when the executive branch has that much power, then you know your Mike Rogers, Martha Roby, mm. I mean whomever, Mo Brooks, they can come home and say. I voted against this bill. And then executive order, right. I mean, that's what they did for the whole eight years of Barack Obama was, yeah. you know, we voted to, and this is what really pisses me off, we voted to repeal Obamacare every year for eight years. And what did they do <laughs> when they got in power? Anybody want to give me the answer? They, they, they had the Senate, the House, and the presidency. And what did they do? John McCain put his crooked arms up and pointed his thumbs at one another and said, nope, not passing the bill. Well, it also simplifies the sport of politics. It makes it, instead of the, and as the system's intended, this this creaky system that barely gets things done, because when a government can quickly get things done, they'll take not only your gold, but your liberties very quickly. And it allows you to love your congressperson, be they senator or your immediate congressman, you can love them and hate the president and vote the president out cuz it after it we're going to have 8 years of Trump. That's going to happen cuz I mean that's pretty much a lot can happen in politics. It, well, very I mean quickly. a lot can, but I mean for the most part you at least have two terms anytime someone's elected and then as soon as Trump is through with his eight years, there's going to be a Democrat in there. So all the Republicans can hate on him like the Democrats are hating on Trump right now. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. What I think is the reason the executive branch has gotten so much power because you look at the way the media fantasizes the presidential election. Yes. The way they televise it. It's like a main event fight. Yeah. You know, this guy versus this guy. Watch this debate. But they're what, part of it. I, I understand that. But, but then... People forget about their local politics, yes. which is what actually affects you. Yep. Your mayoral, uh, your mayoral election, your city council election, your your exactly. aldermen's. You don't even. Nobody could even tell me who's not one of the aldermen's around here. Well, and that's and then, right. Look at the ball over here. Well, and then what exactly. happens? You know, also, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a card trick. And then what happens also is these these almost like I would say myths start to get built. It's like. We defeated the Nazis and the Japanese evil empire, and we went to the moon, and then we stared down the Soviet Union, and now we're essentially the, I mean, I've read one theorist today who says we should stay in Syria and Afghanistan for 100 or 300 years to enforce Pax Americana. The essentially American Empire. Well, and that's, well, of course, it's an invasion force. Well, that's what Man, they, that's that's what they don't want to call that's, it. That's they don't. But that's what the game has become. It's kind of like we need the government to take care of not only everything in our lives here domestically, and by government we mean mostly your president, because the president's where all the action is. 
So it's projection abroad and projection at home from the executive. And because everybody, whether they know it explicit or not, knows this, they understand the stakes have to do with the president. And it's more than just policy. It now becomes, oh, if anything in this world happens that's bad, now let's look at the guy who's not only an executive like a bean counter and he pulls the levers of policy, he's now the symbol of the nation, well, too. Well, exactly, because just like Southern Wood just said a moment ago, everybody's looking at Trump you know, when it's everybody around him that's actually making the decisions. He just gets the blame for it. Right. And and that's and and that's where I was going with that. You think about how brilliant I mean, this is a brilliant plan. Because what have you got? You got a hundred senators and then how many members of the House? Three hundred and sixty five or something like that, is that right? No. Yeah, around there. So, somewhere but anyhow. I think it's actually four hundred something. With so, the hundred senators it's five hundred and seventy five. So you've got one guy's the fall guy. And you've got a couple of hundred people that are profiting from being in government that are completely protected. Right. There's, I mean, Martha Roby, two years ago, was the most unpopular person in the state of Alabama. She won by 20 points. Yes. is, Is what she did. Because, but she's mine. She's my bad guy. I hate Congress, but I like my congressman. And that's wow. what... Yeah. And that's, that's how polling works. It's no, amazing. It is exactly how it works. Congress has been as low as like 2% approval rating, but every incumbent gets reelected. And that's the beauty of giving so much power. What does Congress, what does Congress do? They're supposed to pass a budget. They have not passed a budget in nine freaking years. And that's what they're supposed to do, but they don't do it, but then you can just blame it on the president, so he gets all the credit if something were to go good, but he also gets all the blame, and then you can come back to your constituents and say, I'm up there trying, I'm trying, and and so they are being protected, and there's an ass of money to be made being in politics, apparently. Because everybody up there is rich. Yeah, I understand that. But at the same time, another point you just made just a moment ago. The thing that happens, and it happens everywhere, name recognition. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, his father was a good lawyer back in the day, and he was a city councilman, so his son must be a good city councilman. No. No, <laughs> not at all. Don't even know the son's political background. Just know that the son went to a good school and he has the father's last name. But you see, people have gotten elected on that alone. But you see why we've had, through most of human history, monarchies and kings oh, and queens and hereditary succession. Winton Blunt was almost the governor of the state of Alabama, and and I'm not saying anything. I don't know the man. I wasn't even old enough to vote at that time. Well, and he also, but he was living off his daddy's name, right. Red Bunt. But I also, mean, here's the other part of it. it you've got the the president, the great man on high, but you also have the masses. We've become more and more little d, not Democratic Party, but little d Democratic, where people don't, just like the New Dealers, don't seem to think there's any restriction if the people want it and a majority wants it, then we get it. It's like, no, you. I don't care if 99% of people vote to put to death an innocent man. You're not supposed to put to death an innocent man. That's wrong. Well, but well, it goes back to the point that we made before that you're never going to get, if you put four people in a room, there's no way you're going to get people to 100% agree right. on any one thing. Right, and that's why you, you have some element of a majority rule, but you have checks on it. 
That's why you have the courts that we're telling people like FDR. And I think this is the way the system should work. If Trump does something, like if he declares a national emergency on the border, it will probably go to the courts. Now, it's annoying and from certain people's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, but it's also, I think, a, a proper check on an executive branch that has become sure. more and more powerful. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. People that were watching back in the 30s, what FDR and the New Dealers are doing, people who are critical of it, started to realize they're doing kind of what Mussolini's doing in Italy. The corporate state that controls pretty much all major business and controls key things that give people liberty, like money, like freedom and money and, and whatnot. And in my opinion, the only thing that saved us from becoming as fascist as a lot of places in Europe was things like the Bill of Rights. Well, yeah. And, that, and the that, courts that said you can't do that. Yeah, that and the fact that another reason that that was done was to put a checks and balances on a lot of the bigger businesses of that time, like Ford, so they wouldn't create monopolies. Mm -hmm. So the government was like, nope, it's not happening. It's through monopolies, interesting, but we only have three minutes left, so I'm not going to argue with you. I <laughs> okay. will. I don't agree with you. <laughs> well, I agree with you that that was the rationale. That's yes. why they did it. Yes. I, don't, I think that was actually, it's a term called regulatory capture. How, if you're a business, like if you're a, a competitor, start, if you're a competitor with Henry Ford, and I and you realize, well, I'm not going to beat him by making a better car at a cheaper price, um, or I don't want to, or I don't know how to, how can I beat him? Oh, I'm going to say that he's a threat to be monopolistic, and I'm going to run to the government to take him down a peg. That's, in my opinion, most of the history of monopolies. It's other business interests claiming certain business interests are too powerful, so they become more powerful. It's... I think it's a very dirty game, and it hasn't worked it's very business. well. There are slight, it's just business. There are slight exceptions I might grant, but yeah, it, it becomes this point where I can see both sides of this argument, right? Uh, but that's a that's a whole other can of worms. It's a that's a whole other hour, a whole other show. But about I'm three hours on I'm, that one. I'm generally the policy aspect of it, and, and the sapping of people's liberties, and and. Financial freedom is a big worry to me, of course. But the thing that troubles me the most is the culture. Again, this, for lack of a better word, presidential derangement syndrome. Or it, it, and me a too. Big part of it is also collective guilt and pride. That we're not looking at people as individuals, or at least not when we're talking politics. We're not thinking no. of Clay Sharp here, who voted for Trump and likes a lot of what Trump does, mm -hmm. but. We're thinking, oh, everybody who wears and voted for the president is a certain way. Everybody who voted for Barack Obama is a certain way. And it's like, no, they're not. They really aren't. Everybody that looks a certain way is, is a certain way. Everybody that has a certain sexuality is a certain way. That's not how the world works, thank no, God. But I'm, I'm really worried about this trend of essentially scapegoating groups and scapegoating groups through the presidency. I just the cultural trend of sort of kneeling at the altar of the presidency, and I use those words on purpose. The altar of uh -huh. the presidency mm -hmm. is a dangerous. It's a very dangerous road we're going down. And luckily, we have certain vestiges of of the government that allow us to still have some of our freedoms. But the trend, folks, is one of emergency and crisis emergency and crisis Emer but how long does the emergency go on before you realize wait we've been in an emergency for nearly a century now 
then the next war breaks out. Yes, exactly. We've been in emergency for sure in this country since 2001. I mean, it's since 9-11, it's been a constant state of emergency in this country. And every decision that's been made has been a knee-jerk, reactionary decision instead of having any forethought.